Inspired by hip-hop and the faith culture, the sanctuary in my solitude, the thoughts, feelings, and life lessons of an imperfect Christian by Anthony Kisik is beautifulfeetentertainment.com's work in print. It is a book of poetry and it's available through iUniverse.com, Amazon.com, beautifulfeetentertainment.com, and the links are also available in our social media and podcast. So please consider The Sanctuary of My Solitude if you're looking for a next great read. Thank you so much. This is the Beautiful Feet Podcast. A partnership with BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. Follow us on social media at Beautiful Feet Entertainment and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Beautiful Feet Podcast. My name is Anthony. And I'm Jessica. And we're going to continue our summer of superheroes um, with... X-Men Apocalypse. This film premiered, let me check here, in 2016. Yeah. So, and you were super excited for this movie. Okay. So, I remember watching this movie in theaters by myself, which means in our timeline, Anthony and I had not quite yet started dating because after we became a couple, we always went to the movies together. So Anthony had not seen this film in its entirety, so I was super excited to get to watch the whole thing with him. Now what I didn't realize was this movie is two hours and like 20 minutes long, Um, but honestly it's really well paced, so you're not sitting there thinking... Um, of how long it is. It's really well put together. So, and you you actually really enjoyed this movie, right? Okay, so there are many, many reasons that I enjoyed this film. Obviously, Jean Grey is my favorite X-Men character. For those of you who might be new to listening with us, that's new information for you. But for our loyal listeners, you know Jean Grey is my favorite X-Men character. And that Nightcrawler is one of Anthony's, and this film is very heavy with both of those characters. They get a lot of fun screen time. Yeah. So, like like she had said, this is the first time I've seen this movie in its entirety. Um, At this point with the X-Men movies, I truly was kind of like, okay, I'm over it. Um, I I didn't realize how they were connecting them together. So it's really been cool to watch them all together, um, you know, one by one, and and see how one movie connects to the other. So this takes place, it's after um, Days of Future Past, right? Yes, okay, so timeline-wise, Days of Future Past, the events of that movie predominantly take place in 1973. But we're going to jump ahead a decade, you know, well, I mean, the film opens in 3600 in Egypt. So, anyway, the the main timeline for this film is going to be 1983. And we do have a few clues that give us the year, but we're not quite there yet. So, our goal today for Anthony and I is to be able to condense this we'll say it's almost a two and a half hour movie down into like maybe 30 minutes of 
chit chat. Yeah. So let's quickly just go over the story. Would you mind giving us um, the background kind of to the character of Apocalypse? Okay. So in the previous film, like we talked a lot about the fact that because of what happened with Mystique, it just sort of had the possibility to take everything into a completely different timeline. Because mm-hmm. I think timelines are also going to be important in this film. But the character of Apocalypse, again, we are going to open in what's, like, for viewers who enjoyed watching the original Mummy from 1999 with Brendan Fraser, and is it uh, Rachel Weiss? Yeah, I think so. Okay. (laughs) They are treated to a little cinematic sort of echo to that movie. Again, it's 3600 BCE, or BC. We're in ancient Egypt. We're in the Nile Valley. And there is what looks like to be a very important ceremony happening. Now, the character of Apocalypse, he is like the prototype for the X-Men. He is, or he considers himself to be a very godlike character. And his backstory is, you gotta hang with me here for a minute. Because when I first watched this film, I was like, I don't quite get how this works. But um, it's almost like when the body that Apocalypse is residing in is getting ready to die. He just uploads his consciousness into another new body. Mm-hmm. Well, during the time of this, this transference ceremony, it's interrupted and literally everything just kind of goes to the rubble and then we do a hop, skip, and jump and we're in 1983. Mm-hmm. So essentially, like you had said, he is what many people who have researched can, would consider like the first mutant, right? Yes. And so, and I think he has like, I couldn't really pinpoint what his power was because it seems like he kind of has this like almost every power, like he could almost mimic multiple types of power um well and we see that when he encounters storm because it's almost like he's able to amplify her powers yeah and um oh my goodness is it his name starts with a w the guy with the wings angel angel w well no like doesn't his character isn't it it's angel yeah okay so with Angel, like, he goes from having fluffy little feathers to, like, steel I have wings, wings of steel. Well, and so, let, yeah, so Apocalypse is able to, like, amplify the 
uh, his followers and amplified their powers. Um, and it talks about how, you know, as they're researching this over time, um, they compare him with the, 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 uh, you know, the, uh, five horsemen of the apocalypse. It's four. Four. Wow. My bad. Even though we just studied this in the Bible. Anyway. So yeah, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I think I said five because in his story, he would have four plus him. It would be five. But anyway, so what he's doing in this movie is he's actually collecting uh, unknown mutants. So he gets Storm, Silo, um, uh, Angel. Angel, Magneto. Uh, was there anyone else on his side? I think that was the crux of it. I don't think there was anyone else. Um, and he's amplifying their power. And, it sound, and what, what he basically wanted to do... Um, was re you know destroy the world and kind of rebuild it. It seems like in his image. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that that's apocalypse. Now let's take a quick minute and talk about what Xavier is doing and his group of ragtag people because they're not the X Men at this point. So. I feel like before we kind of jump to Xavier, we kind of got to segue to Scott Summers. Because Scott, who we know will become Cyclops, Cyclops. and my favorite character, Jean Grey, Scott literally. Okay. So, ah, uh, one thing that, like, you kind of have to understand about being an X-Men or being a mutant is that it comes from the genetic mutation of the X gene. And these genes are not going to really activate until puberty, so Scott's power becomes evident and he, he has no way to control it. So fortunately... His older brother takes him to Xavier's school because he knows Hank McCoy. And they're able to fit Scott with his wonderful glasses that keep him from literally wreaking destruction and havoc every time he opens his eyes. Now, for those who are following with us, um, Scott Summers, his brother is the guy is Havoc. From first class okay so they have a similar power it's just one shoots this out of his chest one out of his eyes but it's the same essential idea um, and so they go they take him to the school he meets Xavier um, Cyclops meets Xavier and really like at first I loved uh, Cyclops' kind of attitude. He was like, I don't want to be here. I don't even know why I'm here. This is stupid. But it isn't until he meets Xavier, because Xavier is like the most charming person on the planet. I love him so much. Um, basically, he's like, well, show me your power. Let's see what this can do. And <laughs> this is probably my favorite, not my favorite part of the movie, but I enjoyed it immensely. He, He's like, go shoot this target that's on the other side of this lake, or whatever. And of course... Scott can't see it because his eyes are closed. 
he opens his eyes and he he shoots this beam across the water like all the way through the water hits the target but he also destroys this tree um that was behind it and of course xavier has this like you know, man, my my grandfather planted that tree, and I used to love to climb on it. It's my favorite tree, and Xavier, you know, and Scott was basically like, so I guess I'm expelled. Like before I even get to come here, I'm already expelled. And of course, Xavier's like, well, no, like that just means you're admitted. Like we want you here, um, and it just really felt, it really allowed Scott to feel welcomed, um, and. And like I said, at this point, the X-Men didn't exist in the sense of like a, a unit of people fighting for the rights of, of, of mutants, right? It was simply a school to teach, you know, teach mutants to use their powers and to control their powers. Um, but because of the events of Apocalypse, they end up making this team. Um... So I actually like that. I like that as the the kind of the the origin of why this team exists and why they needed to create this team. Because what happens is as uh, as Apocalypse is really starting to gather his followers um, and they find their way into the mansion where they take over Cerebro and they basically kidnap um, Professor X because they because Apocalypse realizes his power and he's like I could use this in my mission so he kidnaps Professor X and honestly the whole mansion gets demolished so <laughs> we see Nightcrawler and Nightcrawler is hashtag coming to America like he has never been to a mall before so, of course, you know, a quartet of fun kids steal a car and they take it to the mall. And while they're gone for the afternoon to get Nightcrawler a sweet Michael Jackson jacket. Yep, we're in the 80s. They come back and the mansion is no longer. Quicksilver oh. comes and he rescues everyone. But, I mean... Except, what a way to get, uh, like, what a way to get caught joyriding. Yeah. <laughs> Except he could not rescue Havoc because yeah. Havoc was the reason why um, the building d was demolished. Mm -hmm. And so because of what was going on, he could not be saved. Actually, I don't even think they found his body. They just Not to said make it that dark. They just said he... That he was the closest to the blast. Yeah. So... Um, basically what, what Apocalypse wants to do is he wants to transfer his consciousness into Xavier, where then he would have Xavier's power, and he could then, um, connect his consciousness with every human or every mutant, and really get, you know, really get his plan underway of essentially world domination. Right? That's the essential like, uh, conflict to this movie. So, it kind of reminded me of Wonder Woman 1984, how Max Lord had like a similar premise 
of wanting to connect with people and having them have wishes. And then we have like 1983 and 1984. Just a little like, oh, okay, that's kind of close to the timeline. Yeah, so, and then you have Raven, who Raven has, has left Professor X. She's also left the side of Magneto, and she was kind of just doing her own thing. She was like a vigilante in this whole thing until probably about halfway through the movie or so where she reconnects with Xavier in hopes to re- of reconnecting with, with Magneto um, because she... I think she, she learns about Apocalypse, right? Like, she was one of the first people to see him and was like, we need to we need to get together and, and prevent this. Um, well, it's sort of like the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Like yeah. She's, she's like, like, look, I'm not here. I'm not home. I didn't come back to you. I'm here because we need to work together because... This guy's gonna, gonna destroy the planet and then I'm on my merry way. Mm-hmm. Like, once we get this mission done, I'm on my merry way. Here's what I think is funny. It was actually her idea to form the team of the X-Men. I mean, I'm talking about first class. Like, she was like, hey, we can become a team. We can call ourselves the X-Men. We can give each other code names. It was her idea, according to these movies. And then in this movie, she's like, you know, hey... We might need it. It's like she's trying to talk to Xavier and be like, look, we need people to also protect us. Like, I'm glad you want unity, but we need a team to protect us. Um, and then you go into to Doug Phoenix, which again, we haven't covered fully yet. But then she doesn't like the name the X-Men. And I'm like, I'm looking back on it now going, you made up the name. <laughs> like, it was your creation, but now you're mad. But anyway... Well, okay, so my thing is, I remember in first class, like, she is kind of a bubbly college student, and yeah, she really didn't have a sense of belonging, because for most of her life, it's just been her and Charles, so to have all of these other people, all of these other mutants who had powers just like she did, I get the bubbly enthusiasm well, of course. from 1973, and how it would have fizzled out a decade later, I mean... We're not the same at 24 as we are at 34. I'm pretty close to the same. I know. Well, no, I'm <laughs> no, but... But you no, see what yeah, I'm saying, I, right? I get what you're saying, and I think over time, she just sees that, like, how this idea that she had is both helping the world, but she's also so cynical at that point, she's probably like, okay, are we really helping? Like, she's seeing more the negative effects than the positive. So, did you want to talk some more about Nightcrawler? Because I know he is one of your favorite characters. Okay, the dude they got to replace Alan Cummings, which, um... I liked him. I don't know the guy's name, but I liked him. I thought he was a good addition. He was a fun character. Uh, and he was a big part of the, of, of the movie, which I enjoyed. So this is definitely going to be one of those movies I have to watch again. Because I was like, it's a longer movie. Uh, we watched it at night. So there was things that I, I missed that I didn't fully like grab on. Um, but yeah, so watching it a second time, I'll definitely catch like some of the stuff. But Nightcrawler was definitely fun to watch. Um, he had a cool little underground fight scene 
you know, because there's an underground fight club, because of course, um, earlier in the movie, and man, he he was he was taking some people out. It was fun. It was a lot of fun to watch that. Um, but before we kind of let's talk about the final battle, because you were like, man, this final battle is is crazy. There, like, normally during the epic battles or fight scenes. I tune out. I'm like, ah, oh, just give me the dialogue. That's what. That's that's where she like, you know, oh, I'm gonna get some food. I need to go to the like, I need to go to the bathroom or whatever. Like that's where she excuses herself from the movie every single time. But I feel like there was so much that was wrapped up, haha, in this final scene of the movie, because we see again Charles has been kidnapped. Yeah. Um. And they've come to rescue him. And Quicksilver and Magneto, he's basically like, you are my dad. Mm-hmm. Well, he didn't tell him at first. He wanted to, but he didn't tell him at first. Yeah. So basically, again, Apocalypse has Xavier. He's putting his subconscious, like they're linking together. Um, and then you have... Magneto, who's really just tearing stuff up, mm-hmm. um, because his power was also um, magnified, and he's actually using like the iron and, and and the metal in the in the the soil to cause chaos. And then you have um, actually Apocalypse comes out like this is where it got trippy because he was still with Xavier. But he was also um, on the field fighting. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like this giant mind meld of like of what's going on. Essentially, it gets to the point where like uh, everyone's trying to take out Apocalypse. They're trying to break this mental link. And then um, it's just not happening. You know, you got uh, Cyclops trying to help you've got magneto causing chaos everyone's trying to do what they can the whole time storm is kind of hidden away not doing anything but soaking everything in going almost like a holy crap what are we doing now the way the final battle kind of plays out xavier realizes we're still mentally linked even though he's not pouring his subconscious into me i'm still connected to him he links into Apocalypse's mind and they have like this fight within Apocalypse's mind Mm -hmm. is the way I understood it. And as he's losing that battle because Apocalypse is still stronger than he is and again there's two different Apocalypse at this point. There's the one who's internally in his own mind and the one actually on this battlefield um, who's literally stopping everything that he, you know, that people throw at him until Jean Grey gets in the picture. And I want you to talk about this. Do you remember what she does? Because you, at this point, I think you had either gone to bed or I think you were kind of dripping down as far as. So doesn't she um, kind of help Charles and becomes like Cerebro to sort of amplify? His message over Apocalypse. So, so she amplifies his message, but then she actually goes out to the field where everyone's battling. 
and she releases her power. But it, what what I noticed was that she releases this giant burst of energy, which basically abolishes everything. She basically unleashes the Dark Phoenix, mm-hmm. and Apocalypse gets caught in the middle of it, and just gets ripped to shreds torn apart completely and i was just like i that was awesome you know what i mean like that was super cool well and jean gray is my favorite character because i feel like so many people are just think that she's kind of unassuming and like oh yeah like she kind of does what charles does and then when Dark Phoenix shows up, she's just like, boom. Well, and the truth is, is she can do what Charles can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's aspects to her power that I don't think Xavier has. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think in the, in the long run, she's going to be stronger than Xavier. Because she has these other layers to her power. Um but yeah, it was crazy to see this because again, I had never seen this fight scene or, or most of this movie. And that, and then what was cool is how it ends is they're all back at the mansion, putting it together with Jean Grey and Magneto, just moving everything together and you know rebuilding this entire mansion. Um, and actually, I think they actually built it better. I think they they changed Cerebro and like they changed a few things, but and that's basically the whole movie. So for next week, we're gonna watch Logan, which I have never seen. Yeah. From twenty seventeen, uh, but is there anything else that you want to talk about before we go to commercial and then we of jump course. into Revelation? So I quickly. So I'm like, we have five minutes. Yep, I quickly want to focus our attention on like the spiritual connection to this movie. Because I almost like, was there anything that you could see watching this movie was like, oh, this reminds me of this story from the Bible or something of that nature? Well, Apocalypse, when he's sort of having his introductory spiel to these new mutants is talking about the fact that he considers himself to be a god. Mm -hmm. Like the gods of ancient Egypt and just having that continuous like I am that I am. Mm -hmm. I almost saw him as um as the as, as Satan, in the sense of like, he was telling these mutants, "Oh, I can give you something better," mm-hmm. and he was. But at the same time, it was like, he, you could see that he was just manipulating them to do what he wanted to do. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the connection I made. I was like, wait a minute. So he's sitting here, almost, almost selling them. Something he can't do himself. Like, his powers were limited, even though he was very powerful. Um, it just showed that he needs other people, and he will magnify their powers and put them on the field. Um, but yeah, other than that, like, that was the main connection that I saw. So, like you said, next week we have Logan, 
Yes. And I'm excited for this. I've, I've seen this, but I've only seen it once. And um, I remember I really enjoyed it. I think I saw it in theaters. So I'm, I'm pretty stoked to watch this one again. And then what's after Logan? Like, what, where, where are we going from here? So Logan is from 2017. And then Dark Phoenix is going to be from 2019. And then after that, I believe we wrap it up with The New Mutants. Wow. So we're, we're touching the final final couple. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. All right. Well, let's go ahead and take our break. And then we'll uh, jump into Revelation. So. Yes. Revelation chapter 12. Yes. So, yeah. We'll be right back with the Beautiful Feet Podcast. This episode of the Beautiful Feet Podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary of My Solitude, a published book of poetry by me, Anthony Giesick. You can pick up your copy at beautifulfeetentertainment.com, at iUniverse.com, and Amazon.com. Welcome back to the Beautiful Feet um, Podcast. This is that portion of the podcast where we go ahead and jump into scripture. And uh, we've been going over the book of Revelation. And we're just now going into Revelation 12. But before we do, would you mind jumping into Revelation 11, giving us a brief recap? So in Revelation chapter 11, the premise of that chapter is the two witnesses. So we see John... And he is asked to take a reed and measure the temple of God and the altar and its worshipers. So we see that the holy city is going to be trampled on for 42 months. Now these two witnesses, they're going to prophesy again for 1,260 days, which I think that number is going to show up again in this chapter. So it's about three and a half years. And during this time, the prophets have the ability to make it so that there is a time of drought, like it says that they specifically have the power so that it will not rain during their time of prophecy. And um, they do end up dying. The beast comes from the abyss and kills them. And then after that point in time, it says that people were very um, celebratory because the two prophets had tormented those who lived on the earth. But then after three and a half days, we see that God has life come back to them and they're able to go up into heaven. So at that point, when they have ascended on the earth there's an earthquake a tenth of the holy city collapses 7,000 people are killed and the survivors were terrified and they gave great glory to God in heaven so that was called the second woe and then the third woe is coming soon so we see the seventh trumpet now we have the seventh angel and he sounds his trumpet and it talks about the fact that the Lord and the Messiah will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders, they also worship God. They worship him because of his great power. And 
they worship him um, because it is a particular time that has come now and it's the time for judgment so we see that the temple in heaven is open and then there's the ark of God's covenant there there's lightning there's rumbling there's peals of thunder an earthquake and a severe hailstorm so that was our cliffhanger from last week now we're going to move into chapter 12 called the woman and the dragon so as we look at chapter 12 um we're going to really see a lot of metaphors a lot of symbolism uh within this chapter so what we're seeing um we're, like I said, we're seeing a lot of uh, symbolism in that. So let's talk about the woman, right? So what we see, or what the writer of Revelation sees, is a great sign appearing in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, uh, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. So what, what would that represent? We were talking about the fact as we were preparing for this that normally when we've seen the imagery for the number 12 that that's talking about the 12 tribes of Israel. So in this instance the imagery of the 12 again is indicative of God's chosen people. Mm -hmm. So we have her at this point she's pregnant uh, she's going to give birth to a son. And in, Revelation, in this chapter, it actually talks about she gives birth to a son who will be a ruler one day. So honestly, I, that's believed to be Jesus, right? So it's the idea that from this bloodline will come the Savior. Um, and, and then, so that would be the woman. Is there any more about the woman from this chapter that we recognize because I can we're gonna kind of take this piece by piece well again she has the I think it's the seven crowns and the seven stars on her head is that correct she had no that would be the the dragon oh. she just has one crown with 12 stars mm -hmm. so she's got the one crown with 12 stars which again the 12 stars like you had said are the different um, Tribes. Well, it kind of reminds me again, like how we'll see her being hidden away for three and a half years. It reminds me of the fact that when Jesus was being born, how Herod came and he wanted to kill all the babies who were going to be two and under that were male because the prophets or the magi had come to say. Where is this king who was born king of the Jews? We want mm -hmm. to worship him. And we know that Joseph and Mary and Jesus went from Bethlehem. They escaped into Egypt and they stayed there until the time of Herod's death, which was when Jesus would have been, um, well, he was more of a toddler yeah. when they came. But they stayed there um, in Egypt to fulfill the prophecy that says, Out of Egypt I will call my son. And mm -hmm. we know that Herod, like, he did 
wreak destruction and want to destroy this baby. So again, having that imagery of the baby being Christ, to me, it it, it sort of fits, I, I yeah. feel like. It definitely fits. There's definitely a connection between that um, section of the Bible and this section of the Bible. The next figure that we're going to talk about is the dragon. Now, the dragon actually sounds like makes an appearance in, in chapter 11 mm-hmm. where it says the beast rises from the mist. Uh, the uh, abyss. abyss. You're co- correct. So I believe that's the same figure. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's, let's read about the dragon real quick. It says, an enormous red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns on its head, uh, its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth. So, and then you see the dragon standing in front of the lady, basically waiting to devour uh, the child that she's going to give birth to. And I know that's very gruesome, but that actually connects to what you were talking about with Herod um, attacking the, the, the young male babies being born so that he can get to Jesus. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about the dragon real quick. What do we know or what do we see in this chapter about the dragon? So, again, when we were looking at the imagery of the dragon, my mind went to, with that a third of the stars Mm -hmm. comment, it went to when Lucifer kind of went to God and was like, Oh, why do you have no equal? Like Lucifer had wanted to have that same amount of power, so he and a third of the angels who followed him were cast out of heaven. Yeah. So this actually is a representation of that story with the dragon representing um, Lucifer, right? And then the, the one third of the stars actually representing those angels that followed Lucifer. Um, And then, of course, you have the symbolism of the dragon and the baby. Um, Basically, with the baby representing Jesus, the dragon representing Satan, and Satan constantly trying to overthrow or take the authority of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Like you said, trying to make himself equal to God. Um, so we have that. Um, now, at this point, like we said, the dragon and the and is waiting for the baby to be born, uh, and the baby is born, but they seek refuge in a wilderness, and they're in the wilderness for three and a half years for protection. Now, why is that important? I think that's important simply because one. Throughout the Bible, whenever there's trouble, it could be with David, it could be with Jesus, it could be, um, you know, uh, just God's people. They always find shelter in the wilderness. Well, and again, the woman goes to a place that had been prepared for her Mm -hmm. and her child. Yeah. So God had prepared this place for her so that she's protected, which symbolically shows that even in the most turbulent times of our of, of our lives um, God prepares a place for us to protect us 
because we are his people and you know at this point while the while they're being protected um you know the the dragon is just causing chaos at the time there's actually a, a war going on at this time between the dragon and you know the 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 one third stars and Michael and the angels in heaven so they're fighting it out while this woman's and the son is seeking protection and what we see is that the dragon loses the battle and is cast out of heaven toward earth well okay. and we see that in verse 9 it says the great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him yeah and again and like we had said that's a connection to the story that you had mentioned about Lucifer mm -hmm. so we have that connection um, and because of that and this is this is this is the part of that the Bible where like because of that victory heaven kind of opens up and was like they start to I'm gonna assume this is a song just because the way that it's um, the written now it seems like a song or, or a time of joy I'm talking about from verse 10 to the end of verse 12 basically um, talks about salvation and talks about um, you know just the victory that they have in Jesus well, and it says in verse 11, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. I was actually just about to point that verse out. Oh, well, okay. Up top. Serendipitous. That was perfect. Yeah, so even though there was a battle going on, um, the notes of my Bible says that like the critical blow to Satan came when the lamb, which is Jesus Christ, shed his blood for our sins so that goes back to that crucifixion um jesus won the one sorry jesus won complete victory through his sacrificial payment of the penalty that we deserve he died in our place the victory continues through the sacrifice we make because of our faith in him as we face the battles against Satan, we should not fear defeat or compromise, yeah, or compromise with evil as a means of escape. Instead, we should loyally serve Christ who wins the battle for us. So again, it's just this idea of like, we already know who wins the battle. This is actually a look, I would say, into the future of what this what the outcome of this battle is going to be between good and evil and we should already say okay since we know that i'm going to go ahead and serve god because he is the one who's victorious through this whole thing any any thoughts you're you're starting to get a little distracted sorry about that okay <laughs> um Thinking, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm just going to need a moment. All right. <laughs> so, after this, this moment of song, it says the dragon, when he had been hurled to earth, he pursued the woman who'd given 
birth to the male child, and the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so she might fly to the place prepared for her. And I'm kind of paraphrasing here that um, the serpent opened his mouth and water like a river came to overtake her, but then the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river. So now we see the end of the chapter goes to the fact that the woman, um, the dragon is angry with her and it says that he goes off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. Now here's again like a critical passage for us indicating that her offspring are those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about mm -hmm. Jesus. Again, let's as odd as this is to say, let's take a moment and think about what Satan's endeavor is. What is it that fuels and motivates him? His thing is that he wants to keep us, again, from living a life that is victorious in Jesus. He comes to bring destruction. He comes like a thief in the night. And the reason that he's so enraged, again, if we're going with the fact that this child is a Jesus figure, mm -hmm. that would be his ultimate enemy. Because God and the devil have an enmity with one another. And we know in the creation story, it's said that the woman will be able, like, yes, the serpent may bruise her heel, but she will crush his head with her feet. Yeah. And so, and, and I actually like this verse or this section because, one, it does show that we as, as humans and as believers, especially, we have, and it, some people don't like to hear this or, or don't like to think about it, but we do have an enemy of, of morality, right? Of what's right and wrong. That's why we have this, um, this desire to do things that are wrong, but we have to fight through that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It's that temptation from this enemy, from this dragon or this beast to, to, you know, to flee from that. Because it's constantly trying to get us away from our relationship with God, away from our relationship with Jesus, because then it can weaken us and destroy us. Well, and again, I think it's interesting to note that the moment that the red dragon or Satan appeared was the moment that this woman would have been giving birth. So for the baby and herself, that would have been where they would have been, honestly, the most vulnerable. Well, yeah, a newborn baby, not from experience because we don't have kids, but they, that is the most, like vulnerable that that child is probably going to be throughout their life so um yeah so to attack at that point and which which again shows that when the enemy attacks us it's gonna he's gonna attack when we are at our most vulnerable not when we're at our most uh triumphant or strong well and i feel like honestly it's because when you're in a moment of vulnerability you can also be open to the power of suggestion. We see Eve and the serpent. That was her moment where she was more vulnerable because obviously she had the desire 
for that fruit. And so the devil came along and was like, well, are you really going to die if you eat it? Mm -hmm. You know, if you touch it, she touched it. She didn't die. She ate it. The rest, as they say, is history. Yeah. Well, and, and I think that leads us into just a discussion of we have to think about our lives. When are we the most vulnerable to um, falling away from, from our faith? Well, and there's a scripture reference that talks about the fact that the name of the Lord is our strong tower. So the righteous, they run to it and then they are safe. As, a, as like a refuge or a place of protection, right? Mm -hmm. So when you're weak, that's where you run to. Um, and, it, and, and for me, this, this definitely shows, again, talking about God's um, sovereignty and like his protection. This also just shows... Uh, the fact that we're allowed to be weak, we're allowed to be vulnerable. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we 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 try to raise people up in this culture of like, don't be weak, don't be vulnerable around people. When you are weak, don't let anyone know. Like it's the idea of protecting yourself, but what you're really doing is you're isolating yourself, and that is not. That is not healthy. That is not actually going to help you heal, but just callous over, if that makes sense. Well, and we see that God designed us to be in community with one another and to be a part of what we think of as the family of God. Mm -hmm. And you've got to do that, like you just said, with community, with other people, which means sometimes you have to admit to being emotionally weak mentally you know weak when in any aspect of your life just being like this is what's going on um because that's when temptation's going to hit you the hardest so um yeah i mean other than that like this chapter is once you get into the symbolism it's pretty straightforward well and honestly i think that's why having a study bible or some sort of additional resource can be very helpful um, for me personally, this is where if I've been reading the book of Revelation, I will stop because I'm like, this is just too weird. I'm out. So looking at it now that we've discussed this chapter and you, you usually don't go into this chapter. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts now? Like, is it still very weird or is it like, okay, I, I, I'm getting it. I think now that I understand, okay, we're using some imagery here to show god and his angels versus the devil and his angels yeah to put it to put a face to that, something that doesn't have an actual face that does help and again like i'm interested to see chapter 13 because it sounds like again we're going to be learning more about the dragon the and the, the motivations behind it yeah because again i feel like from the beginning of time it's been God and the devil sort of at odds with each other. But in the story of the book of Job, like, they can have a dialogue with one another. Mm -hmm. It's not like it's always like, oh, I have to attack you. So, yeah. I don't know. There could be diplomacy between them. But again, the, the premise or the crux of the book of Revelation is... Yes, the devil has had his time, but now his time is over because 
Jesus and God and Michael and his angels have the ultimate victory. Like, that's the end of the story. Yeah. And, it, I mean, it, yeah, so that's what we're seeing in this chapter. Again, we're always going to encourage you guys, read it for yourself. Because, again, we're going over pieces. Because we can't go over every little detail. And we're also not scholars. So, there's probably things that we've missed. So, when you, when you read... Do some research. Watch some YouTube videos where they break down, you know, the, the what's what's happening or what the symbolism means. Or we really or, enjoy uh, the Bible, Bible project. project. Yeah, and, and the Bible project has a lot of great stuff. I haven't seen them tackle this too much, but um, that doesn't mean it's not there. Um, but yeah, so I would recommend reading along with us and and doing some research, doing some some homework, as it were. Um, but yeah, let's let's go ahead and pray, and then I'll plug everything in, and then we'll go from there. Okay, uh, we'll be back next week. We're going to be reviewing Logan from 2017 and covering Revelation chapter 13. Yes. Okay. Dear God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the fact that, again, as the angels were praising you, that you are the one who is and was and is to come. We know that the God that we serve is infinite, that you were there at the beginning and you will be there with us at the end as we're learning during uh, our study of Revelation. We thank you for the victory that Michael and his angels had over the red dragon and his angels because we know that we can have victory in Jesus and sometimes that is that is a hard concept to grasp. Um, like we looked at the woman in her vulnerable state. We have our own vulnerabilities. And it can be difficult for us to go to the name of the Lord as our refuge. But we thank you for the fact that through your word and through scripture, that you're teaching us that we can always trust in you, no matter what else is happening around us. We thank you for... The fact that we live in a place where we can worship Christ freely and openly. And we always remember to pray for the persecuted church. Our brothers and sisters in Christ who have made the decision to follow Jesus. In a place where that decision could mean persecution. And it could also bring death. But we know that through Jesus Christ we have eternal life. We thank you for the fact that heaven is a wonderful and complex place that we know that you will be there and that the angels will be there and we'll also have moments where we could be even reunited with our loved ones who have passed before us I've heard it said that we have the hope of heaven and in this chapter there are moments where things looked very bleak for the woman and her child but we know that she went to a place that you had prepared for her. And that is also the promise of heaven, that we will go to a place that you have prepared for us. We thank you for our faith in Jesus. And we thank you for Jesus' obedience, that he did suffer, and that he died on the cross for us, was buried and rose again. We know that that is one thing that separates Christianity from the other major world religions, is that Jesus 
did have a resurrection, that he walked among the disciples and many other witnesses until he ascended into heaven. We pray that you would be with us during this time, where the world does seem like it's going through a series of trials and tribulations. As COVID rages ever onward, making us again vulnerable to illness and death, as there have been earthquakes, there's flooding. When we look around at our circumstances, it can seem very bleak. But as we're learning, we need to remember to fix our eyes on Jesus and to look upward to our God in heaven and to know that he hears our prayers. And it's in his son Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much um, for listening. Please feel free to share this podcast with any friends, family, uh, anyone that you think would, would benefit from it or would enjoy it. You can feel free to follow us at BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com as well as Beautiful Feet Entertainment on Instagram and Twitter. Um, we're, always, we're always up for any conversation, any, any comments on the show or, or what we talk about. Um, but yeah, and then we'll be back next week with another episode of the Beautiful Feet Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Beautiful Feet Podcast, a partnership of BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com. Please feel free to follow us on social media at Beautiful Feet Entertainment. Please visit BeautifulFeetEntertainment.com and do not forget to like, share, and subscribe.